It must have been an incredible experience to walk around with Jesus for three years. Like if you were an eyewitness to Jesus, one of his closest disciples, one of his crew, and you got to see the things that he saw, like how amazing would that have been? Like you would have seen Jesus do things like feed a crowd of 20,000 people with like just some bread and a little bit of fish and he somehow feeds everybody with it. And what was that like, you know? Or see him heal someone who had leprosy. Like, I don't know, could he like touch someone's skin and then it suddenly becomes normal again and, and, and clean? And, and, and what was that like to see that like magically happen in the moment? What was it like to walk with Jesus and, and to be hanging out with him and maybe being out on a boat and then Jesus like walks on the water? Not like sinks down into the water, but walks on the water. How cool would that have been if you were one of his closest friends. He's like, this is, guy's amazing. He's walking literally like on top of the water. Or even there was a time that Jesus and his disciples were in the boat and the, the storm kicks up and the wind and the waves and all that. And Jesus just like stands up and he looks at the wind and the waves and he says, all right, just quit it. Like, stop it. Chill out. And the, the wind dies down and the waves stop. Like he literally speaks to nature and nature listens. Like that's mind blowing stuff. Maybe one of the most impressive things, if you were one of Jesus' disciples walking with him, one of the most impressive things you ever saw him do was his friend Lazarus had been dead for several days and was in a tomb. And Jesus goes up to that tomb and he cries because his friend Lazarus is dead. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus gets up from being dead and then is alive again. Like, how mind-blowing is that? Not only did Jesus do things that would have blown your mind, he also taught in a way that blew your mind. Eyewitnesses to Jesus in his day said that Jesus spoke as one who had authority. There was something different about how Jesus taught that people were like, whoa, this guy. Like, I can't believe he's saying the things he's saying. Like, Jesus would talk about God and heaven and hell and you know, the future, and he would talk about love and, and, and all of these things. And when he would talk about these grand themes, people wouldn't hear him and think, oh, he's like a, a wise commentator. They would hear him and think, oh, he's more like an author. Like, he speaks like somebody who wrote this thing. He sounds like an insider when he talks about heaven and, and all of this stuff. It was, must have been powerful to hear him teach, to see him heal people. And so you would think if you were one of Jesus' closest followers and he's like, hey, I'm going to leave and you're going to take over the job when I'm gone, wouldn't you think like there'd be so many things you want to learn from Jesus before he leaves? Like if, if I was one of his closest followers, I would, I'd be like, Jesus, can you teach me to walk on water? Because that would be like super helpful. I mean, it'd just be cool. I could just like run across this lake or whatever. Jesus, would you teach me how to heal people just by touching them? Because if I could do that, there's a lot of people that are sick and I could heal people. That'd be really helpful. Like, wouldn't you think you'd want Jesus to teach you all of those things? And yet, interestingly enough, when the disciples go to Jesus and say, will you teach us something, they don't ask to learn how to be better healers or to walk on water or make the wind and the waves obey them or how to multiply bread and fish. They don't even ask to be better teachers. This is what they ask. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. There was something even about the way the man prayed that people saw it and people were near him and they're like, this dude's different. He, even the way he prays, and, and, and I want to get that. I want to learn how to pray like he does. And so we're doing a series right now for four weeks called Lord Teach Us to Pray. 
And um, we're going through four different aspects of prayer, four different ways that we can pray, four different things that we can add into our own prayer so that we can be better at praying. Because 90% of Americans claim to pray, 48% claim to pray every day. Now, what are we praying about when we pray? I, put, I found this uh, survey results, and here's a graph up here that shows what we pray about. Uh, Lifeway did this study. So number one thing people pray for is people who mistreat you. Number two is praying for your enemies. That's really good. Jesus told us to pray for our enemies. That's great, right? It gets a little less noble after that. Our next prayer is that we pray that we win the lottery. That's 21%. Um, we pray, number 20%, uh, we pray that we have success in something you put almost no effort into. So if you don't study for the test, then you pray that God give me an A. You know? And then kind of you look through the list, it's pretty interesting, right? I think this is an interesting window into our soul. What do we care about? What do we pray about to God? What, what are we willing to go before God and say, help me with this? Like the 7% of us who pray for finding a good parking spot. You know, like, let me find... You know, we go to the gym, and you're like, I'm going to go work out, but can I please have a spot close to the door? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, we pray that someone would get fired, 5%. We're kind of mean sometimes in our prayers. Like, we're trying to, like, bring down fire on people or whatever. So it's interesting. But the, the, the point being, like, everyone's praying, and so, or a lot of people are praying, but a lot of people find it very difficult and don't exactly know what to say. I've, I've talked to other leaders. I've talked to Christian pastors that I respect very much who have said to me, I remember one guy saying to me, um, man, I, I have a hard time praying. Like, sometimes prayer just feels so unproductive. It feels like wasted time or unproductive work. And, and I, I, I think we can all relate to that. There's times where we're like, yeah, I know I should do this, but it's just not working for me, and I'm not getting it. And so we're in this series. We're going to talk about different kinds of prayer. Last week, we talked about prayers of help, where we just say to God, God, please help me, which is great when you're in a hot mess, right? And so I want to talk today prayers of thanks. What is it like to say thanks and to show gratitude towards God, and how can we incorporate that into our, our usual prayers? Um, this is all over the, the New Testament, uh, this idea of, in all Old Testament as well, of praying prayers of thanks. Uh, the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica, listen to what he says in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll start with verse 15. He says, see, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He says, I want you to pray without ceasing, so a lot. And in, in that, I want you to give thanks in all circumstances. So we should be the kind of people who are thankful in our prayers in all times, in all circumstances. And then he says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The word will there comes from a Greek word, thelo, and it means basically this is God's best offer for you. This is God's preferred future for you. This is God offering his best to you. This is what he wants. And you have the choice to accept it. You can say, all right, um, I'm going to be a thankful person, and I'm going to walk down this road of giving thanks in all circumstances. And when you do that, you are doing what God wants for you, and you are going to receive God's best. Or you can go a different route of ingratitude and saying, I'm not interested, and I don't want to give thanks in all circumstances. And you can walk down that road, and that road will take you far, uh, far away from God. Essentially, Paul is saying, hey, look, uh, you have a choice here. Give thanks a lot and it could actually change your life. Now, Jesus, as we see him modeling prayer for us, Jesus gives thanks a lot. 
But what's interesting with Jesus is he doesn't give thanks in the moments that you think he would give thanks for. Like it's easy to give thanks when the sun is shining and things are going really well. But Jesus gives thanks in hard moments. When he goes to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead, I told you about it, it, John 11 tells us that Jesus is crying. He's upset that his friend Lazarus has died, even though he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. And right before he raises him from the dead, Jesus prays, and the first thing he does is thank his heavenly Father. Thanks, God, on the front end of a miracle, in the midst of his pain and sadness, he's thanking God. The night before Jesus is betrayed, Jesus is going to hang on a cross and be crucified, one of the most painful executions humanity has thought up. He's going to experience that the next day. He's going to be betrayed by one of his closest friends, and he's meeting together for everybody for dinner. And during that meal, he gives thanks to God. Now, he knows what he's about to go through. Who gives thanks when you're about to be crucified? I wouldn't be giving thanks to God. I'd be like, quit it. Like, why do I have to do this? This is horrible. And yet, even in that situation... He gives thanks. How can we be the kind of people who pray without ceasing, who give thanks in all circumstances, not just the good ones? It's easy to be thankful when things are good, but not when things are hard. You may have heard the German pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a a pastor in, in Germany in the 1930s and 40s, and he was part of the resistance to Hitler. There were many pastors who chose to not speak up or do anything about what Hitler was doing because they didn't, they didn't want to be uh, executed or whatever. Bonhoeffer was part of the resistance, was actually part of a group that tried to assassinate Hitler. Um, and he was very conflicted about that, about should pastors be part of you know, assassination plots and things like that. But uh, he wrote a lot about his faith. He was imprisoned by the Nazis in 1943, and 18 months later he was put in a concentration camp where he died just before the war ended. Um, and Bonhoeffer during that period, wrote a lot, and listened to one of the things he wrote while he was in prison. He says this, it is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. Isn't that crazy that he would say that in prison? Only with gratitude that life becomes rich. He's not talking about wealth. He's not talking about money. He's talking about there's a, there's a, a depth of the soul. There's a satisfaction that comes, but it will only come when we are the kind of people that show gratitude. Columnist from the New York Times, David Brooks, Uh, wrote an article a while back about gratitude, and he he said something kind of interesting. I want you to hear this quote. He says, most people feel grateful some of the time after someone saves you from a mistake or brings you food during the illness, but some people seem grateful dispositionally. And he goes on to kind of unpack that over the rest of the column. But it's this idea that, man, some people just seem wired up for gratitude. Um, I think that's an interesting idea. I, I think what Paul understood and what Bonhoeffer also understood is that um, it is possible to give thanks all the time. Uh, It is possible to be full of gratitude all the time. And if we do that, our lives will become rich. Not materially, but there will be a deep soul satisfaction that we can have. And so what does that look like? How can we learn to be grateful like that, to have an attitude of gratitude? How can we learn that? Because it is learned behavior. In fact, I would argue that it is not our natural disposition to be thankful. This is why your mom always has to tell you to say please and thank you. It is not natural for us. It's not natural for humanity to thank God for what he's done for us. The Apostle Paul writes some pretty harsh words in the beginning of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, and he talks about where humanity goes, where we all go in in the darkness of our hearts. And listen to what he says. He says, for the wrath of God is, Romans chapter 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against 
all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what, this is interesting, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Let me just unpack that for a second. He's saying... God's attributes are on display everywhere. Grab a microscope. Grab a telescope. Look at the sunset. Look at the migration of the birds. Look at what love looks like. Listen to music. All of these things point us to the divine creator. His fingerprints are all over everything that we have. And he says, therefore, we're without excuse. You can't sit there and go, I didn't know there's anything. There's no divine power. There's no God. He's like, no, his handiwork is everywhere. We are without excuse. We have to own up to the fact that we live in a pretty amazing world and that God is doing his work in that. Continuing on, he says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What he's talking about, think about idolatry in the ancient world. When you worshiped God, you would bow down to a statue. You'd make a statue of a reptile or a bird or a person and you would bow down to that. And he's saying, look, God's power is at work. God's incredible, and instead, we've made it into a little statue, and we bow down, and that's what, we've, that's what we're worshiping. But if you back up into what he said, he says, we did not give thanks to God. This is, this is what happens in our hearts. We don't honor God. We don't thank him for what he's done for us. We don't even notice anymore. We just kind of go, oh, yeah, fine. Things are good. Um, whatever. Doesn't matter. We don't acknowledge in our cynicism, we don't acknowledge the goodness of God and his work, and so we don't thank him. So how do we do it? How do we cultivate and learn this behavior? How do we cultivate this attitude of gratitude and actually make it part of our prayers? Let me give you a couple ideas. Number one, we must have big ambitions but small expectations. We must have big ambitions but small expectations. It's okay to swing big. It's aim for the swing for the fences to aim big, right? It's it's okay to have big ambition and to accomplish things. I hope you do. I hope God puts dreams and desires in your heart and I hope you chase after them. But we need to have some small expectations along the way and not get our expectations raised so high that we think we're owed something or we deserve something. A good way to think about it maybe is um, if you ever go out to dinner and you go to a restaurant that's expensive. So let's say you go out to a nice meal. How are you going to feel sitting there in the meal um, if, they, if they mess something up? Like you're having this nice meal, you know it's expensive, and you're like, man, this broccoli is overcooked oh man, the steak is a little more rare than I'd like it to be. We're like, will you take that back? So can I have steak? And they'd be like, could you turn the temperature down in here a little bit? And this water needs to be sparkling, not still. You know, like all of these things that you're going to be because you paid a lot of money. And when you pay a lot of money, you raise your expectations and you go, you know what? I deserve this. This is an exchange here. I put out big money. I'm expecting a certain kind of experience. We have high expectations. Contrast that with if you go to, the dinner, if you go to dinner at a friend's house, you go over to your friend's house, and you're like, man, you're cooking dinner for me? This is awesome. I don't have to cook this myself? This is fantastic. Your expectations going into a meal at your friend's house are very different than an expensive restaurant, right? You go to a friend's house, and if the broccoli's overcooked, you're like, I'm just glad you made me broccoli. Like, thanks. The steak's not exactly what you would prefer. It doesn't matter. They made it for you with their own hands. Like, you're like, awesome. You cook for me. Thank you so much. 
There's a different level of gratitude we have when we change our expectations and don't think that we are owed something. We went to a friend's house a while back, and they made dinner for us, and they made us salmon. And I'm not a seafood guy at all. And I was like, all right, I guess we'll have salmon. And I kind of had low expectations, and it was really good. And I was like, this is really good. I mean, good job. You made me like seafood. This is really well done. And I just appreciated that they made it for us. I didn't have these expectations that it's supposed to be amazing. Um, and, and there's something that happens there. We, have, we are more gratitude. We are more thankful when we don't have these huge expectations of how things are supposed to be for us. Um, so that's number one. Number two, we need to rediscover some wonder. We live in a very cynical age. We believe that things are getting worse all the time. And maybe you've noticed this, maybe you've noticed this online or in your own life or around friends. People think that, like, whatever, the next generation's a bunch of idiots. Um, now kids, you know, kids these days. Man, you can go back, like, thousands of years to, like, ancient Rome, and you can find quotes from people who basically say, kids these days. Like, we've been saying that forever, okay? But we think... Man, things are getting worse. Things aren't like when I was in high school. Things aren't like that. And like the culture is going downhill and people are so entitled and brats and things are bad and it's all awful all the time out there. And we can get very, very cynical, right? It's really easy to do. But the reality is things actually aren't getting all, everything's not all getting terrible. I, I stepped away from social media for a couple months. Some of you may know this. I may have mentioned it before. I stepped away for a couple months, just totally cut it off. And uh, it was an interesting experiment to see how it would affect my soul. <laughs> um, and one thing I noticed is that social media doesn't tell you what to think about things, but it does tell you what to think about. So it, it does kind of drive you, okay, now you need to care about this, and now here's the next hot thing, and now you need to notice this and pay attention to this. And stepping away from that, um, it was fun to think about whatever the heck I felt like thinking about for a change, you know, and like get away from that. But re-engaging that, I noticed the cynicism creep up in me over the last few weeks. I noticed the, you know, you, 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 can, you can spend a little bit of time in your, your social media feed or, or even like in, in like a com box uh, on, a, on an article and you can start despairing for the future of humanity uh, very quickly and think, man, everything's awful, um, when reality is everything is actually not awful. Um, there's some really wonderful things. For example, global extreme poverty is way down, and it's been going down for decades. Like in the world, the number of people that are living in this horrible uh, poverty is, is just it's not as high as it used to be. It's really gone down. Uh, clean drinking water. More and more people are getting access to that all over the world. Uh, the literacy rate worldwide is 90%. 90% of people are literate in the history of the world. That is incredible what is going on. And there's all these other indicators that you can look at to say, by, by many measures, things are getting better. But if we're just going to be cynical, we're going to be grumpy. Why are we so grumpy? Well, it's because we've lost our sense of wonder of the world. Things uh, don't impress us anymore. I flew one of those budget airlines a couple weeks ago from uh, Denver to D.C. And I don't know if you've flown one of those budget airlines, but they're really appealing because they're like, uh, you know, you want to get a ticket? It's only like 100 bucks. Like, ah, man, one-way ticket from Denver to D.C., 100 bucks. that's great. And it is great unless you actually want to have a chair 
on the plane, in which case they're going to charge you for that. They're like, oh, you want to pick a seat? That's 20 bucks. All right. You want to bring a bag on the plane with you, luggage? That's $35. I'm like, well, can I check it? That's also $35. I can't just bring it on. Nope, that's $35. I'm like, oh, I got to pay to bring a bag on here and to actually have a seat and to be on the plane. And it just starts adding up, right? You're like, man. And then forget about food. You're not getting food on this plane. If you want food, you're going to have to pay uh, uh, 15 bucks for like a snack pack that has like a mini Snickers bar in it and some cheese. Um, and so, you know, you get on this plane, and like the seating was fine. It, it, you know, it's, it's as cramped as they are. I don't know. But I was sitting on this plane, and I'd never flown one of these before, and they're like, oh, it's kind of, there's no magazine. Literally, there's not like Sky Mall or anything for me to read. There's nothing in that pocket except a vomit bag or whatever. I'm like, well, that's no good. So whatever. There's definitely not a TV on the back of the, the chair in front of you. So I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Just sit and look at each other? Am I going to just, what are we going to talk? Uh, do I have to get out pen and paper? So I was like, I guess I'll you know, try to do a Sudoku puzzle or something like on paper, like an idiot. Like uh, there's no, it's not Wi-Fi, and uh, this. Well, I, there maybe is Wi-Fi. You had to pay for that too. I don't know. Uh, but like, I tried to pull the tray down in front of me, and the tray is about the size of a deck of cards. It's just like this little thing that comes down. I'm like, I can't even. What am I going to do with that? Like this is ridiculous, and it's so annoying, right? I'm like, ah, this is airlines garbage. Got to pay for everything. You don't get anything. But then consider in three hours, I rock it in a pressurized metal tube across the earth and go from Denver, which is way over there to DC over here. That's incredible. Shouldn't we all pause for a moment and acknowledge how amazing that is? Like I soared like a bird. Like, a hundred years ago, that's going to take 30 days to do that trip. Like, can we acknowledge for a second how incredible that is? Or do we have to be like, they didn't even give me Jetzels. I don't even get Jetzels on this plane. I get nothing to eat. Like, come on. Rediscover the wonder in the thing. Open the window. I don't know. They still work. That's free. You can open that. Look out. <laughs> Rediscover the wonder in the thing that it, it's actually kind of amazing the things you get to experience, the life that you get to have. Um, And it's important that we discover it because when we don't wonder, we're not thankful. We don't appreciate it. And we slowly shrivel up. G.K. Chesterton, writer, wrote in London about 100 years ago. He said this, the world will never starve for want of wonders, but only for want of wonder. Guy's good with the English language, right? The world's going to starve because we don't care. We're not noticing anymore. We did care. We, we did have wonder when we were kids. Everything was exciting when you were a kid. The vacuum cleaner was interesting. The, the you know, the, the, the little race car bed that you slept in was cool. You know, like we had wonder then, but we've somehow lost it. Chesterton says this, and I love this quote. I've probably given it to you before. Listen, he says this, because children have abounding vitality because they are in spirit, fierce and free, Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. You know what this is like if you have little kids? Push me on the swing again, again, again. Have you ever did that thing where you hold kids and you swing you and another adult and you swing them up? Like, that's, fun, like, that's fun like twice for an adult, you know, and then the kid keeps wanting you to lift me up again. Do it again, do it again. And you're like, oh, I got to keep lifting the kid up and do the thing, Right? Kids love that over and over and over again. If you, if you have a kid or you have a niece or something, you've seen that. 
He said, for grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Man, I love that. We have sinned and grown old. We've gotten cranky. We've gotten cynical. And we've, we've lost the wonder of the world. We, 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 we can't even enjoy something that could be actually kind of, you might say, is a little bit monotonous. So we need to rediscover wonder. We will talk. I'm going to stop there. We'll talk more about that next week uh, in, in, our, in our next message. So finally, n- number three is this. Notice and track the little things. I've told you before that I write down three things I'm thankful for each morning. And um, part of that as a discipline for me is to try to get me to, to just notice the stuff that, that's around me. Like, it's easy to go through your day and things happen, many of which are good, and you don't notice them. And, and so the discipline of writing down, here's what I'm thankful for, is good. And if you try it, if you've never tried it, write down three things every day. Or advanced level, write down 10 things you're thankful for. Because if you have to write down 10 things you're thankful for every day, you're going to realize that it's hard to come up with 10. Like, you're going to be like, well, I'm thankful for my job and my health and, you know, these relationships. And I'm thinking, you know, the kind of obvious things. But then you're going to, like, really start scraping the bottom of the thankful barrel. You're going to be like, I'm thankful for air. I'm thankful for that it's a little cooler today than it was yesterday or whatever it is. You know, like, you're going to, you're going to, uh, start thinking about all sorts of things, and there's something good about that. You're going to start noticing the little things that you could be thankful for. You'll notice the way someone smiled. You'll notice that they played that song at work. You'll notice, like, how cute that puppy was or whatever. You'll, like, notice these things and write it down and be thankful. And then it's very easy to take that list and turn it into prayers and pray prayers of thanksgiving to say, God, thank you so much for the puppy. Thank you that this song played. Thank you that, you know, and you just take that list and thank God uh, for it. This is an important piece of what it means to renew our minds, to change our, our thoughts, to, make, to become more Christ-like. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 writes these words, and I think these could be, uh, these are key words for our church and the way we think about transformation and what it means to grow. Do not be conformed to this world, he says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says, uh, you got to change something in your brain. There's a way to renew your mind. And for me, writing down what I'm thankful for helps renew my mind. It helps me think differently about the world around me. It actually helps me to see the way the world is as God sees it. Like God gives me gifts all day long. There's things to appreciate and be thankful for. And when I write them down and I'm thankful, I start seeing the good gifts that he has given me all, all along the way. You have to intentionally uh, set, your, set your thoughts on different things. If your day, like here's the deal, everything shapes you. Everything forms your character and your spirit and your mind. Um, and if your day starts with, I get out of bed and I check the ESPN app and I check my social media app and I check my emails and text messages just to see if anything happened while I was asleep, and then I go through my work day and I check these things, and then at night I'm going to binge watch some 
show uh, because it's the hot thing right now. And then before I go to bed, I'm going to check my email and my texts and my social media. And they're like, if, if that is the way your world is wired and that's the way your day is structured, that forms you. That's not neutral stuff that you're doing. That shapes your mind, your thoughts, your hearts, your character, your attitude. Um, and, and, it, and it shapes you in a certain direction. And so what if you didn't do that? What if you got up and ignored all of that, sat down with pencil and paper and just said, here's things I'm, I'm thankful for, and, and start, uh, start there? Um, that's, how our, that's how we are transformed. That's how our minds are renewed. That's how we practice giving thanks. That's how we will cultivate joy. It will not be accidental. You will not become more thankful and, joyfully, and joyful accidentally. It's going to be when we're intentional uh, with the process. So notice the little things. And then here's next level on thankfulness. Give thanks to God even for the hard stuff. The trials, the temptations, the pain, the frustration. Thank God for that. And that is next level because that is hard to do. That's what we see Jesus doing in his prayers. He's thanking God even for the hard things. Um, And and, and even in the midst of, of suffering. And that's difficult. His brother James, Jesus' brother James wrote it this way in James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy, he says. Another translation says, consider it pure joy. Consider it, count it. He's not saying it is pure joy when you have trials. He's saying, think of it that way. Frame it in your mind that way. This is actually a thing you can do. This is possible. This isn't written to be pretty words that you read that and go, oh, that's nice. That's very biblical sounding. It's meant to be reality, practical living for your day to day. Think of it as joy, even when you face trials, because trials are going to produce something really good in you. What would it look like to thank God in the midst of pain and say, Man, God's making something. He's forming something in my character right now. I know that's not easy, especially if you're in pain right now. I get it. I'm not trying to put lipstick on a pig here. I know it's difficult, and it's in, when we're in the midst of pain, it is difficult to, oh, yeah, I'm just going to be thankful, but it is possible. So try a gratitude experiment this week, this month. Thank God for everything. Write some things down. Thank everyone for everything. Start thanking people at work, thanking people in your house. Children, thank your parents for everything this week. You will freak them out. You'll they'll like pass out. They're going to be so shocked that you're just like super thankful. Thank uh, coworkers. Uh, and I, I'm pretty sure no one in your life is going to be like, man, you say thank you too much. Like, stop doing that. Stop appreciating things. Like, no one's going to do that. So what if you lead out in that and say, I'm going to show gratitude. And then Turn that gratitude towards your heavenly Father in prayer. Say, God, thank you for this. Just keep, keep account of how he has blessed you and, and thank him for it. Um, I, think, I think if you do that, it'll change your week. Now, you may have a, a really crappy week coming up. I don't know. Um, and I don't think this is like a magic formula. I just think over time, this is going to reshape and reform uh, your heart and mind and renew your mind. Turn your gratitude to your Heavenly Father. It doesn't have to be something fancy. Um, just say, thank you, God, for this and this and this. And, and see how that builds the relationship that you have with Him. Let's pray. God, thank you for the Bird Theater, for uh, a wonderful place to meet in a wonderful city. 
uh, I thank you for uh, functioning air conditioning. I thank you for um, at least half the seats in the room being somewhat comfortable. I thank you for uh, the chance to worship together freely in, in the world in a, because not everyone gets to do that. Um, I thank you for songs to sing, prayers that we can pray, um, your word that has been written down for us, the relationships that we have in this room. God, may they grow. May we grow stronger and closer to you and to each other. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.